VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? And I used right. to get like people sending us pitches for like automated yoga mat cleaning for, you know, yoga studios or whatever. <laughs> and the early days were a little tricky. We were helping people understand what we meant. And what we meant was, no, we want to make a lot of money. We want to make more money than other firms, but we want to do it by finding these mission driven founders who want to take on the biggest industries in the world. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly podcast from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. Oh my goodness. What another wild week out here. Got the laughs at Meta, the collapse of FTX, just an amazing story. Sam Bankman Fried going from supposedly $15 billion net worth to a whole lot less than that. And then, of course, we're another weekend to Twitter under Musk. So just a ton happening here. It really does feel like we're entering, if not a full recession quite yet, certainly a tech recession as companies pull back and kind of really fall from the great, very great heights they reach, especially during those last couple of years of the pandemic. And it's easy to feel like the sky is falling and kind of everything's going to stop. But if you've been there before, if you've seen this movie before, if you've starred in it, you can keep your head about you and actually do some pretty cool stuff. And that is what I wanted to talk about with this week's guest. Andrew Beebe is the managing director of Obvious Ventures, the venture firm originally uh, funded and set up by Ev Williams, the co-founder of Twitter and Medium. And Beebe has been doing at Obvious for many years what a ton of REVs have been have started to do over the last couple, which is invest in what Obvious calls kind of through a world positive lens. I mean, they're focused on a few areas like climate tech, healthcare, fintech, and they back companies that, of course, have a chance to make a dent in the universe, to make a massive return, but also do it in a way that's actually good for us, for the planet, et cetera, that is additive, that is positive. Um, Andrew, in short, has been doing this long before this idea was cool. And he goes back a ways from doing startups way back in the dot-com days to then getting into solar when it was, that was definitely not cool and very, very expensive uh, and very difficult to what he's doing now, which he's been doing for the best part of a decade. So he has great perspective, not only about where we are in this kind of pretty scary market, but how you survive, how you make it through, and just the huge opportunity that's still in front of us when you talk about investing in things, starting things that are important, 
because they're important in very specific ways, they are to a degree protected from kind of the harshest aspects of the downturn. So we'll get into that. But anyhow, Andrew has just some great stories to tell, including when his first company became a Harvard Business School uh, case study, and then everything went kind of (laughs) pear-shaped. And they invited him back. So there's a great story about that uh, and many others. And he just provides some real clarity about operating in these pretty rocky times and kind of staying focused on this idea of these kind of secular trends toward climate tech, clean tech, health tech, etc. And and kind of just, you know, staying the course despite all the madness that is happening around, even though, you know, it makes things more difficult. So anyhow, I think you can get a lot out of this. So with that, I will now step aside and hand you over to my conversation with Andrew Beebe of Obvious Ventures. Enjoy. So I have many, many questions. Hit me. What does Obvious do and how did you end up doing this? Yeah, so Obvious is coming up on, I think, no, we are eight years old and uh, have really been doing the same thing, this thing called World Positive Venture Capital since day one. I was not here at the beginning. My partners, James, Joaquin, and Vishal Vasish started Obvious with Ev Williams of Twitter fame, of numerous different areas of fame, but Twitter yeah. being one of them. Um, they they started the firm in 2014 and raised the first fund, and then I came on, right, as the first fund was right. closing. So as they like to remind me on a daily basis, they did all the hard work, <laughs> and I just showed up, which is sort of true. And we've been uh, together ever since. Uh, we've now invested in 100 companies across human health, planetary health, and financial health. And it's, you know, I would say it's going well. We're on our fourth fund and we've really found our groove in terms of what world positive means and also proven repeatedly that our thesis was correct, that when you find these mission-driven founders taking on the biggest industries in the world, imagining a better future, you can find outsized returns. So what did you do in your previous life before you decided to be world positive? Well, I mean, I was, I think I was world positive in a previous life too, uh, professionally some, and I sort of ramped into it, but in the way back machine in the late nineties, I was running an internet, a venture backed internet startup that I founded with some great folks and it was sort of like an early Shopify called big step. Hmm. And we had raised a bunch of money, did the whole thing and really had a great time building a great business in the early days of the internet. And it was watching this industry take shape with a lot of people who are continuing to lead that industry or sometimes have switched over to venture capital. And uh, it was exciting. I I think in the moment, you couldn't realize what a tremendous transformation the world was going through. But in hindsight, it seemed obvious. So in 2002, I sold that business. And um, so 2002, the world has gone to shit by then. Yeah. So was this like a good, like, yeah, rah, 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 the no. dot com is taken over the war? Is this like, oh my God, we've barely yeah. survived and we made it out? Yeah, I think it was the latter. I mean, at the time, it felt like a cratering, smoldering dumpster fire, you know, in general, the whole economy. And there were a few that had really sort of pushed through Yahoo and eBay and others, yeah. but in Amazon, but not many. And it was it was an interesting lesson learned. I, I now think of Carlotta Perez's model of 
tech revolutions and she has this concept. It, it's a little bit like the Gartner hype cycle in some ways, but it just large economic transformations that the world goes through. And she has this installation phase and then the deployment phase. And at the, at the tail end of the installation phase, it's, it's a massive hype cycle that mm. can't not have a correction. You can't not have a correction because of the way sort of uh, society and businesses and governments clue in, they over clue in, and then you have this correction. And so we were going through that correction. Uh, we didn't we didn't understand what that meant at the time, but there were these companies like Google and others just getting started, and they could see past, or maybe they were just hoping past, but they really were were seeing past. I think that correction and realizing that there would be a deployment phase after. For me, I you know I had venture people telling me, hey, what's your next act? Why don't you go do this? Like this whole thing called mobile gaming, you should do that or whatever. And I just, it sort of rang hollow. So I believed then that I should do something that was marrying profit and purpose. I just felt like, you know, the, the whole profit and profit and profit thing for me didn't really work. And if you're going to try and bang your head against something and try to solve really hard problems, why not solve hard problems that are like, the, the definition of your success in profit is also success for the planet or success for human health or success for something that truly, truly mattered. Well, that, I feel like at that time also there was a lot of people who were all about profit and profit and profit. And then when the music stopped and everything kind yeah. of crashed, it was like, oh, my God. You had a lot of people kind of in crisis because it was like, I was going to be rich right. and now I'm not rich and, and I wasted my time. Well, it's a funny thing, like when you really drill into that and you say, okay, so you were going to be rich and then what? Yeah. They will often say, well, then I was going to give it all away, right? <laughs> and and that's cool. Like, and some people do that and, and Gates yeah. is doing that famously and, and Melinda Gates is doing that. And like, that's amazing for them. And I'm glad they're doing that. There's another model where you get rich because you're doing all those things you were going to do later. Like, yeah, why yeah. not just yeah. live it? It's so much more fun and interesting. So there were, um, you know, people realizing that then. And and by the way, it's happening right now. I mean, mm. I'm getting a lot of emails from Twitter people. It's very timely today that we're talking. Twitter people saying the last thing didn't really deliver in the way that mm. I wanted, not just financially, yeah. but also from a, a value standpoint put me in. I want to go do, you know, their, their go-to is climate, but there are many, many ways to do yeah. things that are world positive. So my go-to then was climate. I said, okay, that internet thing, we had some beliefs around, basically it was the availability of always on broadband, which wasn't a thing. And that availability transformed the world forever. I then looked at cost curves of oil, cost curves of solar and wind, and just felt like, you know, these are going to cross at some point and there's going to be massive opportunities. So let's, I'm going to go You do thought that. that then? I thought that then, and it was funny. Was it, is there why? Because yeah. not a lot of people did. It wasn't obvious. Yeah, you know, I had like good advice from people. Bill Campbell, you know, who's a famous coach for a lot of people, was coaching me at the time and, and just said like, stop thinking you got to jump right back in and just go away and just go think. And I did, I, I didn't have money. Like there were a lot of reasons I had to jump back in, but I did take his advice a little bit. My wife and I traveled uh, for a while and I just, look, when I got into the internet, people were not thinking this is a way to make money. It was 1995. Mm -hmm. You know, we were just having fun yeah. and playing and it was more Burning Man and less, you know, Web Summit or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. like, yeah. 
what does this all mean? And it was really more artistic and, and just sort of creative. So I wanted to find the next version of that. And when I looked at, it was really more about pollution than climate per se. I mean, Gore's movie had not come out. I was actually, I was actually in the audience for the film, one of the filmings of Inconvenience Truth. Mm. I, I just happened Inconvenience Truth. I happened to be in LA and I think they needed to fill the room. You know, like people were not paying yeah, attention. Yeah, yeah. Climate change was like a thermostat setting. It wasn't, a, you know, there was no one talking about it. So I saw those cost curves and I just thought, this is going to be a thing. I don't know when, but it's going to be a thing. Let's go for it. And very few people would listen to me. Uh, the venture folks all said, actually, I, I had a great conversation with, who was it? Arno Penzias, who's a wonderful Nobel laureate. He's a, He was a... Um, older partner at NEA, and he he knew, he was a Nobel laureate, I think in physics, and he knew a lot about mm. the way solar panels might work, and I pitched him this idea, and he said, Andrew, you know, these are great ideas, you should not do them, no one in venture will ever fund a solar technology company. What was the pitch? It was, it was high concentration gallium arsenide rooftop trackers. It was a very esoteric, remains a very esoteric uh, Yeah, I don't know what anything of, of that just it, it's, that means. It's basically taking um, a bunch of mechanisms we use in space mm. and figuring out a way you might be able to make them work cost-effectively on Earth. It, if solar panels had remained high cost, we actually got it to work. It was quite interesting. We raised a bunch of money. Mm. But meanwhile, the rest of the world, I mean, it was a great lesson in manufacturing cost curves. And yeah just learning curves. And, and we got crushed by Chinese com competition, mm. which was great. You know, it was the, the world won. The, the, the better play would have been to invest in companies that were taking advantage of that cost curve rather than fighting to beat it. And in fact, that's what we did. We pivoted the company ultimately to become a solar installer. We did Google's corporate headquarters, all the solar there. That was my company. And, and that really was our big break. It was actually right. a cold call to Google, a woman on my team, Carrie Norton, cold called Google. We had a great method. She, she cold called the CEO's office, and they would not take the call, but they directed her. What was the method? Her. I'm fascinated. Oh, it was. It was. It's a great. Everybody should do this all the time. You cold call the CEO and say, "I'd, I'd like to talk to Eric Schmidt, please, about um, <laughs> the solar for the rooftop." And the assistants are usually cool and calm and collected because yeah. they're total pros and they yeah. say I, i'm sorry he's you know, he's you busy right now yeah i don't have an appointment but i know he'll want to hear about this that's great um i'm sorry that won't work and and you basically sort of annoy them for a little while and then you say who who would be the right person and they say mm -hmm. oh, it would be david radcliffe who runs real estate uh oh that's great could you please transfer me to david's office and they're so happy to get rid of you and the ceo's office is then calling david radcliffe's office saying this person wants to talk to David about solar, and the assistant on the other side thinks, oh, Eric oh, it's from the CEO. Yeah, from the oh. CEO. Boom, David takes the call. Isn't sure why he's taking the call, but Eric Schmidt probably <laughs> wanted him to. And three, it's quite good, actually. Three weeks later, we had, it was a competitive bid, and, and you know, that call didn't get the deal done. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it, got you, up, it got you in. We built the largest solar installation in the world at the time for corporate installations, and uh, and Larry and Sergey were both amazing about promoting it. They mm. just wanted everyone to know, and, and for really wonderful reasons. And I think that started them on a journey of becoming massive leaders in yeah. renewables. And they did things, you know, a hundred times in scale. They, you know, now they they own wind farms and they've done a bunch. So that early learning 
helped our company. We ended up doing Disney and, and all sorts of really fun corporate clients across the West. And we sold that company to an international company called SunTech. I ended up running product for that company and then sales and it's public and became the largest solar company in the world. And it was a lot of fun. And I, um, in the final years running in sales, we were selling billions and billions of dollars worth of solar around the world. Wow. And it was the go-go years. Yeah. And uh, it was a great arc because when I started, solar was, I don't know, $15 a watt or something like that. And when I left, it was $1.50 a watt. And now it's it's not quite 15 cents, but it's pretty darn close. So we've made um, tremendous progress on it. And I ended up working for one of my customers, one of my big customers, NextEra Energy, the largest energy company in the country now in the U.S., and um, built a distributed generation business there. And I was having a good time doing it. It's based in Florida. There's a lot of travel. Mm. The last company is based in China, even more travel. So when Ev and James and Vishal called and said, hey, we're, we're putting the band together and we really need a leader on the sustainable systems side, for me, it was a no-brainer. Mm. So that, that's how I got to And obvious... did you know Ev and the, and the other guys before? I did. Before? Yeah, Ev... In the late, I'm going to say in 2000, he was running Blogger and I was running Big Step. And we had raised a bunch of money. And people were having a tough time understanding what this blog thing was. And <laughs> this, this whatever, this like leaving, like journaling on the internet just seemed yeah, so yeah, weird. Yeah. And um, he was almost out of money. And he uh, was going to shut down. And we put him up in our offices for a while. I think we gave him server space too. Right. Back in the day was a big deal. You needed totally. servers. And, um, and he lived with us for a little bit and it was great. And that's how we got to know each other. Right. So I knew him in the way back machine. He obviously went on to do some fairly extraordinary things, but what I'll tell you is knowing him then and knowing him now that the, his values really never wavered. They might've matured, but they didn't really change. And that is not always the case for people who go through that kind of economic transformation. And it's been a, a, a really joyful experience having him as in a values anchor for the organization and he's not a day-to-day -day investor with us he has yeah. been running medium and he's really a, a founder but he has done um he's been very helpful in making sure that we stay grounded around what world positive means so is he the the primary source of funds he's not he was in the beginning but the plan with him and with us was always to build an institutional mm. product and you know the simple model is I think he wanted to leverage his money. He wanted to lever it up and get other people on board with this concept. And in the beginning, it was a hard concept. You know, people yeah. say, oh, you're a concessionary investment or you're an impact fund. That means the returns are Well, because, yeah, because also like impact, fund, that's almost like a dirty word. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, cool, you're not very interesting financially. Right. Yeah, that's really neat. You guys are going to uh, go fund a <laughs> bunch of nonprofits. And, yeah. And I used right. to get like, People sending us pitches for like automated yoga mat cleaning for, you know, yoga studios or whatever. <laughs> and um, the early days were a little tricky. We were helping people understand what we meant. And what we meant was, no, we want to make a lot of money. We want to make more money than other firms, but we want to do it by finding these mission-driven founders who want to take on the biggest industries in the world and imagine a better future. So it was interesting talking to institutions. Now, you know, we've made 100 investments. We have, a, I think, a very strong track record, and we're making money for our mm. investors. So it's really, it's a great, it's been a joy now. Well, joy. It's, it's been a lot easier raising money now. 
And it, you know, because we have, we just talk to the numbers and, and then we show them the companies, you yeah. know, and we publish this world positive report and people really get a feel for what we meant. And what I love is that we're seeing our, our language and rhetoric and um, sort of architecture of venture be copied by other people. And that we think of as the ultimate compliment. So what does that world look like now? Because you look at like somebody like BlackRock who are like, you know, Stanley Fink going seemingly going all in on ESG and climate tech, et cetera. Fast forward two years and you'd be like, uh, kind of, maybe not so much because the world is changing. Things are getting much more difficult. And I'm just wondering from where you sit, where are we in this kind of this cycle, right? Because it feels like the last two, three years, you can tell me exactly what the time frame yeah, is. Yeah. There's been kind of a wind, wind at your back. Climate and climate tech has become this thing that people are very excited about. Now it feels like we're heading into recession. As you say, Twitter, half of Twitter is being fired today. I don't know how many layoffs there were this week. Thousands and thousands of people have been fired yeah. just this week. Yeah. And it feels like we're at this very sharp turn in the economy. So what does that look like from where you're sitting? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I should say is we invest in human health, planetary health, and financial health. That means fintech, healthcare, climate, industrial. So it's not just climate yeah. for us. And because we're, I mean, the areas we're investing in are like, they're not recession proof, but they're mm. highly res recession resistant. I mean, healthcare is a great place to be you know, long right now, yeah. especially U.S. healthcare, because there's a lot that's broken. And, and, and there are some really interesting regulatory changes that are allowing for a lot of things to be fixed. So we like our diversified approach. But what I would say, particularly for, I'm not a public markets investor, so I don't want to opine yeah, on, yeah. on that. Yeah. But like for climate and some aspects of ESG, particularly the east side, like the next five years to me matter a lot more than the last five years. Mm -hmm. Because the last five years, when everything is up and to the right, like we can invest in like space elevators and make money. You know, like you can, like <laughs> a lot of things get funded. Yeah, uh, There's a, just a lot of capital pushed into the system. And when things get tighter and when people get scared, they tend to retrench and they tend to go back. I think this is what you're suggesting. You know, go back to traditional, where can I protect yeah. my money? And then maybe where's some alpha? And what I think is with certain categories, healthcare for sure, but like with climate, I think we're going to see there's actually a lot of money made in these categories mm -hmm. over the next few years. Because this transition, like the transition to electrified vehicles, as we've talked about before, like it's going to be hard for it to show more momentum than it has now. It's extraordinary yeah. what's happening globally. And like when, when things are happening simultaneously in Germany, China, and the U.S., that's a that's a special yeah. you know that's a grand slam. So I am excited about the returns that people are going to book and show. And you know the other real compliment to what's happened is that when I got started in solar, this was so risky that Arno Penzias, you know, his firm later went to put like a billion into into solar companies. So maybe yeah. he was just talking about me, but <laughs> but it became de-risked. Then yeah. it was venture worthy it became de-risked even further. And now I think a lot of that is not even venture worthy, right? It's it's mm. really, it's a different asset class. It's just like yield. It's a great, like you want to go make 7% on lever, like you go put it in solar farms and in wind farms and in battery systems. So that's incredible. Like that that is the transformation taking place as it ripples through the capital stack. And 
you know, venture capital is super cool, but it's tiny compared to that yield totally. zone. And yeah. those are the trillions that McKinsey and others say we're going to need to make this transition work. And they're, they're being deployed. So I don't think that changes. I think that gains momentum, right? I mean, I don't think there's a world where we say, you know what, we were kidding about the electrification push for vehicles. I don't yeah. think there's a world where we say, you know what, coal is a much better idea. We, these are like one-way roads right now. Yeah. There's some cutting-edge stuff like direct air capture or cold fusion. I think we're going to see people pull back from that. It's possible because some of it's just not a good idea. Those were venture ideas that yep. got put down, and that's fine. Uh, it's possible because the timelines just become much more extended, right? And we could say that about a lot of technologies. So I, I think the next five years are going to be very, very telling, and they will validate or invalidate some of these theses. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, for example, healthcare, that's obviously a gigantic industry. I think it's whatever, one-sixth of GDP. So how do you zero in? How does your screening process work? Because world positive sounds really cool, but I don't like what does that mean when you're like, all right, yeah, we have this company pitching, does this meet our criteria? Basically, I don't think a company comes in, we don't invite a company in unless we think they're world positive. And the screening is a little bit more nuanced than that. And we do scorecards and we talk about ESNG for sure and DEI and and things that help us at least quantify what their profile looks like. And then we, we ask them a lot about intent. And, you know, when you're a three-person startup and say you're three white guys from the same school, we wonder whether they're going to be able to build a diverse team, whether they're going to be able to think differently from one another. And so we ask them a lot about intent. And, right. and we'll, we'll watch that and measure that. And, and that would not screen them out you know, but their answers will matter in the way we think about what they're going to be capable of creating. But that's sort of the base level of just, Mm -hmm. is this going to work? And I think the other question, as I think you're asking in healthcare, as an example, is it's so vast, you know, what, what do you do and what don't you do? That screening is harder than, is this going to be world positive? Almost most things in healthcare 
if um, if, if it you're works, it's going to be good. Improve right? the human yeah. condition. Yeah, we think that you know that's probably world positive. There are some things around drug deployment where like or dialysis or something where you're really trying to get people hooked to a machine, literally, you know, on yeah. an ongoing basis, and you don't necessarily want them to get better. We we are, or at least economically, that's not the incentive. We look in healthcare at outcomes, and we're very excited about value-based care where you're getting paid for outcomes as opposed to getting paid for a fee for service, which is in the US, that's how healthcare has worked mm -hmm. forever. You go in, you get something done, you pay. The efficacy of that is not really, it may be analyzed later, but it's not financially rewarded. That's changing now regulatorily in the US. So we're very excited about outcome-driven outcome healthcare and about full stack healthcare, the two go hand in hand. If you're if you're really looking at complete care for an individual, you can make the case that you should be compensated based on efficacy and, and outcomes. And so there we will slice and and screen that way. And we'll say, right. okay, so what flavor of world positive are you and what macro tailwind that we believe in are is really behind you? And if we can't really see those, we often screen those out as well. Like right. in financial health, you know, buy now, pay later was a really hot thing for a long time. We just couldn't get excited about it because we could see how it goes wrong. There was a tailwind, but it was more of a, um, not a meme, but just momentum. You know, people thought yeah. these are hot because their top line would grow really quickly. Or it's effectively a new form of credit, right? It is, right? It's a, it's yeah. a you know, everyone talked about shadow credit or whatever, and it can turn bad real quick. And I think it, you know, we're going to see it turn bad in the next couple of years. And that's why that area is out of favor today. But those are things that we definitely pencil forward when we think about, is this obvious worthy? Is this a world positive? Yeah. And is it going to stay world positive? And, and the phrase we often ask is what could possibly go wrong, which is a little bit of a joke, <laughs> but it's also a yeah. good question. And, and I remember we had a buy now, pay later, and they came in and it was this big world positive story and, and how they were, you know, the average American doesn't have $400 for an emergency car yeah, repair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, these are all true statements. Yes. They definitely play to the heartstrings of, of a world positive investor. And then you can quickly ask, like, okay, what are your first markets? And it turns out their first markets were jewelry stores, right? And they would go and they would co-locate in a jewelry store and they would help people buy things that they couldn't afford. I mean, that's like mm. a trope. It's like an old sort of setup for a movie or totally. something where that's been done for probably a couple of hundred years. Mm -hmm. And it was not the business that we could get excited about. No. So luckily we haven't fallen into any of those traps, but it is part of the way we think about the deals. Well, it's funny you talk about what could possibly go wrong. It feels like a lot's going wrong, or at least in terms of like, if you go back six months, look what's happening with interest rates, housing markets crashing. I have a friend who works at Open Door, brutal. I mean, just really yeah. incredible. And just how it's been a pretty violent reversal that, and I'm just wondering how you have been coaching your founders and kind of what that world looks like for them. Because I, I was also thinking basically since 2008 till the last six months, it's basically been go, go, go. And so you have this whole generation of founders who've known nothing but a bull market and an era of easy money. And it feels like we're entering this new phase. It's just going to be a lot harder. Yeah. I love that. I think it's a Buffett quote, right? You never know who's skinny dipping till the tide goes out. Yeah. The tide's going out. So, I mean, first of all, we spend a lot of time thinking about why founders 
pick us. You know, our mm. deals are usually very competitive and we win and, and we want to know why and, and make sure we're leaning into that. And one of the appeals, I think, is that we're all ex-operators. You know, we, mm -hmm. we built things and often usually venture back things. And we've been through two, and we're old, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's an appeal usually, uh, but, you know, we've been through a couple of the cycles. Yeah. And um, I'm not at all surprised by the, let's call it, violence of this, you know, precipitous drop. Mm. It, it is so logical because when whenever you look at a chart of anything about economic change, usually the up is very much a mirror image of the down mm -hmm. or vice versa, right? Like the, the, this is how things work. So even in weird times like COVID and other things, because you pump a bunch of money into the system and then you take a bunch of money out. And, you know, that's what the Fed is doing. And just as they pumped so hard into it, they're going to have to pull out just as fast. And that blunt force instrument, that scattershot approach, always overshoots and it did going up and it and it will going down so it's going to be really tough but because of the experience we've had i think we were aggressively last year pounding the table telling all of our founders raise as much as you can and then mm -hmm. act like you didn't you know like put it in the bank right and then pretend like with your team and everyone else just say like let's just not rainy day fund but let's slow roll this spend and most of them took that advice. Almost all of them took it on the raising side. Not all of them took it on the deployment side, yeah. but most of them did. And and we were just running the numbers and our average runway is uh, substantially higher than the average that the, the mm. averages we can see from Silicon Valley Bank and others. So that's one indication of health. It's not the whole picture, but it's one indication of health. And And we have been counseling our founders on how to get through this. And it's totally doable. You know, it, it's scary and hard, but if you've been through it before or some version of it, every yeah, version is yeah. a little different. Yeah. I think that that, that can help. And I, I think, you know, our mature, a lot of our founders are repeat founders and they either they've been in through it before, or maybe they're repeat in more recent years, but they have a maturity to recognize a, we can get through it and uh, it's not the end of the world. And B, we should be swift and aggressive in the way we go through it. You mentioned earlier this idea of like the the one way road where you're talking about kind of phasing out of coal or electrification of transport, et cetera. Are you worried at all? Because you know there was there has been a I think it was called green tech before. There yeah, has been clean, a boom. clean tech, yeah, clean tech, tech yes. green tech, yeah. a boom yeah. and a very dramatic bust yeah. before. I remember it well. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you have the scars. Starred in that movie, yeah. <laughs> so. Are you worried at all? Because again, if we're going back to like the last two years, there's a lot of money thrown into, let's call it some sp pretty speculative ideas. A lot of new firms were set up and just kind of just started spraying money around. It feels to me like this time, everybody says this, this time's different because you have a lot more proof points. You have that, some of the core enabling technologies are actually work now and are cheap. But I'm just wondering, how, are you worried at all that, that the kind of this whiplash is going to set back the momentum specifically around climate tech because it feels like uh, the whiplash is coming. So I'm going to say this time is different and a lot of people are going to lose money. Yep. So um, this is Carlotta Perez. I was in the installation phase, climate tech 1.0, clean tech 1.0, and we are now in the deployment phase. Mm -hmm. And the deployment phase is full of wins and losses and it's full of overinvestment and underinvestment. But the 
the base of that, the area of that curve, the base of it is so big that you're talking about noise on the top versus in the installation phase, the ups and downs like literally hit bottom. Like they just, they will be crushing for an entire industry. So why are things different this time? You, you mentioned one. When I got into it, every single installation we did in solar was wildly uneconomic. Like it was just <laughs> a bad idea, right? Like, except we yeah. had extreme subsidies yeah. and, you know, free money in Germany. Germany oversubsidized yeah, yeah. to the extreme, right? China oversubsidized. Spain then like wanted the title and they did really yes. wild things. Today, coal is what is uneconomic. Mm. Right. Natural gas in a lot of cases is even at low prices in the U.S. is what's uneconomic. Yeah. So not to mention forward regulatory risk. I remember I used to have to sell to people saying like, look, here's my solar array. You know, here's a 200 megawatt solar array out in the desert. I can tell you what the price of the kilowatt is tomorrow and what it's going to be in 25 years. Mm -hmm. What's your forward price on natural gas? And they would say like, I, I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, I can give you the five year strip, but I can't give you the 25. And that was as good as we could do. We'd have yeah. to like explain to them that you just have unknown risk. And that was true. Today, I can just say, what's your price tomorrow? Here's my price tomorrow. Thank you very much, right? And you, you'd win the deal. So that's the one-way street. That's locked in. And that is one example. But electric vehicles are still more expensive on average, for yeah. sure. I don't think they're more expensive on a product-to-product -product comparison basis. Like they're just better. They're much, much better products. But we're obviously it's going to go through the same thing. So so we're seeing this cost curve is just radically different. And then there are things like direct air capture that are not. And we have to you know you have to be very careful. Those are areas where people are going to lose a lot of money because they're still in their early. They're in the hype cycle somewhere. Totally. They're in the installation phase. Many many things. The base things. The sort of commodities of this whole transformation are radically cheaper. Okay. So that's one. Two, partially because of that, the amount of money coming in is off the charts. Like it's two orders of magnitude greater than what was in Cleantech 1.0. Mm. And the money, some of it, like I think the climate bill is likely to end up being between 800 billion and one the, trillion. The IRA. Dollars. Uh, yeah, 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 the IRA. So it was 360 on the cover of the book or whatever. It's more like a trillion. Yeah. Much of it is uncapped. The numbers are going to blow everybody away. And that's money that you know, we'll, there's going to be hearings and, and the Republicans are going to have a field day. Totally. Money's going to get deployed. Yep. You know, Mitch McConnell is getting a ton of money in his state. He loves it, right? Arkansas is getting a ton of money. Georgia is getting mm. a ton of money. When when those people go from making seven fifty an hour in Arkansas to making 21 an hour at that new battery plant, yep. you know, for an American-made car, those people, they may not be Democrats, liberals, climate-focused yeah. people. They are going to vote for whatever happens. And if their local representative or senator tries to claw back that money, it's not going to be a good day. I believe that that kind of money and that kind of deployment is there to stay. Whether BlackRock hedges more and comes back into oil and gas, whether General Atlantic, uh, Tomasic, uh, Wellington, mm -hmm. everybody is just pumping hundreds of billions of dollars into the space it's a transformational amount of money. So right. we've pushed that over the edge. The third thing I would say is that young people and increasingly all people just want to work on this problem. They don't like 
I get calls from the CTO of one of the largest technology companies in the world calling me saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm shifting out of this role. I want to get into climbing. <laughs> you know, like yeah, th yeah. Th that's not, I can just tell you, I was one of those founders 20 totally. years ago. The quality has gone way up, right? <laughs> way up. And the volume yeah. of founders right. has gone way up. So those things all are really powerful in the climate world. The thing that actually matters is the climate itself. Mm -hmm. Like, Back then, it was hypothetical. Gore's movie hadn't come out. People weren't even like using common language around it. Yeah. It was very hypothetical. We were talking about pollution, and we were talking about air quality and stuff. And now we're talking about human existence. Yeah, you know, it's the visceral. The planet's going to be fine, yeah. but hum a lot of humans are going to die. And they're going to, you know, that's going to happen anyway. We're already seeing it. The Pakistan floods were jarring. And, you know, Americans are really the last to catch up on this uh, as a whole yeah. and as a political body. And, and we're getting there, you know, and the climate bill was part of that, but this will just ratchet up. It mm -hmm. doesn't like, it just gets worse. And if you're on the wrong side politically of the issue, you are more wrong every day. So we will, that, that will start to really come down on in the U S on a lot of people, mainly on the Republican side mm -hmm. who are, who are pumping the brakes here. And I think you'll start to see them break and transform. We're not, you know, as a thesis at Obvious, we don't care that much about the regulatory side of things yeah. because, or, or at least the, the policy side of things because it's all happening anyway. But that's going to be an accelerant. And, and all of that is just related to the climate itself. Yeah, because ultimately, politically, it feels like if you have, you know, like the American West, the Colorado River is now on this water restriction for the first time ever. Yeah. There's 40 million people who depend on that. That's not like, oh, these lefties want to make me, you know, use like renewables. This is like I can't water my yeah. crops. Yeah. All of that is happening. There's a second part of your question, like what's different and can, you know, will there be a lot of money lost? And what I would predict is there will be a lot of money lost. Like people are still going to make bad investments. Totally. Congress is absolutely going to try to rip apart this loan guarantee program and say, you know, find the next Solyndra and they're going to find it. Like there will be a Solyndra 100%, somewhere. Yes. And, and no one, you know, maybe somebody will do a good piece looking back and reminding everyone that the loan, the original loan program, the Solyndra loan program was a total success. It made money for the government. It was, it was a great outcome and it also helped Tesla and other companies survive yeah. and then thrive. So all of those bad things are going to happen too. And there will probably be, I don't know if there'll really be people bold enough from a media standpoint to say, oh, see, it's all happening again. And, and look at this train wreck yeah. because there will be too many positive proof points at the same time, differently than the first time around. But we should just acknowledge a lot of money is going to be lost and we have to be, you know, vigilant and careful about picking thematic areas and technologies and teams that are real winners and not think that the tailwind is so powerful that everybody wins. Yeah. I have one more question. I know we're short on time. What was your worst day of work ever? 9-11 <sighs> was pretty bad. Yeah. I had a board meeting that morning and it was, uh, you know, it was a tough time economically, and then that happened, and it really impacted all of us. Mm. Uh, that was probably one of the worst. Having to execute layoffs uh, mm. across a team that I had really come to love, including like co-founders of my company, that was a very, very tough time uh, all around that 2000, 2001 period. Yeah. 
I remember 2000, I was like flying high, raised tons of venture money, ran this super cool, uh, popular internet technology company, rode a motorcycle, <laughs> had like long, you know, hair down to my shoulders. You had a motorcycle. Oh, yeah. It was oh, awesome. like my sole vehicle. And, you know, we were all just having a good time. And it yeah. was wild because, again, we'd started not thinking you could make money in this totally. world. And then suddenly it turned into something exciting. And so HBS did a case study on us and, you know, I had never gone to business school, so I thought that was hilarious. They had me come speak to them, which I thought was great. And it was all the first years. And all the questions were basically asking the same thing, which was, how can we be you? You know, like, how can we be just like you? And so I just said to them over and over again, you guys are, you need to quit school and you need to come to California because it's on, you know, and it's not happening yeah. in Boston and we're having yeah. a great time. And it just drove them bananas because they were like i've worked my whole life to get right here totally and now you're telling me i'm in the wrong place i what it you know i was killing them had the hbs study come out yeah yeah and it was like this is yeah this is revolution these guys are amazing totally and you know fascinating companies also and so a year later shit had hit the fan so of course being wonderful hbs folks they had me back and they were second years at the time. And basically all their questions were, how can we avoid being you? <laughs> you know, they were like, how do we like make sure that You're whatever like, stay happens. Stay in school, kids. Well, that's what I said. I said, I said, you guys need to stay in school as long as possible, which was awesome because it drove them even more insane because they were like, shit, I have three months left. And I was like, go to the Kennedy School. You do totally. whatever you do, but like, don't come to California. It's a fucking bloodbath. And they uh, they were very upset by that. So, um, yeah, fortunes can change yeah. very, very quickly. But yeah. um, I think people who, you know, ride through those tough moments, especially if you can continue to find the purpose in the next thing and maybe maybe make that purpose greater than the last thing. Yeah. I think they can really thrive because that experience matters. Yeah, I think what you're saying is obviously very pertinent given what's happening and what's about to happen because it yeah. feels like a lot of people are going to have to make some decisions about what they do next yeah do shit that matters amen and that was the first part of my conversation with andrew i want to thank you all for listening that is it for me this week um i'll be writing about a whole bunch of stuff probably ftx this weekend probably about meta and all these layoffs that are happening now so if you are at all interested, head over to thetimes.co.uk or actually pick up a physical paper, whatever, and check that out. Thank you also for the, the ratings, the reviews, for spreading the word. It always helps. So thank you for doing that and continuing to do that. And that is it for me this week. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll talk very soon. And uh, be well. Bye-bye. listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.